Welcome to Trinity Church. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we've come to a time where we, we get to hear from God. You know, we are a church, a covenant uh, family of the least likely people, the least likely people to even be friends, but we are brought together uh, through the good news of Jesus. And that makes us even closer than uh, blood relatives because we share in something uh, far more significant. And we get to remind ourselves of that every week around this time as we open God's word and we get to hear from him. And as a family, we've committed to uh, studying through the gospel of Matthew, working through it paragraph by paragraph. We've been going at it for a while. We're going to take a break starting next week for our Advent series. And then in January, pick it back up here. And we feel this is an awesome place because we get to learn about Jesus together. What a better way to help ground our faith, to learn about them, to hear uh, from the Gospel of Matthew as we uh, systematically uh, go uh, through uh, this Gospel together. Matthew isn't just recording facts for us, just uh, throwing out the words of Jesus, letting us try to figure it out from there. No, No, he carefully organizes this Gospel so that we see who Jesus is and what he has come to do. You know, Matthew knew in his original audience, there were both those who maybe had heard of a little bit about this Jesus, but, but weren't, weren't convinced, did not yet believe. He knew there were some who were following Jesus. And for both of them, they need to hear afresh who Jesus is, what he is, has come to do. And for those of us here today, Whatever category you're in, welcome. Uh, we, we get to hear about this uh, same Jesus. As we've already seen in this gospel, a controversy uh, certainly follows Jesus. And there are plenty of people out to get him. Uh, when, when we meet controversy, you know, we have a choice to make. You can either try to diffuse the conflict Maybe Miles Garrett, if you know the football player, maybe he should have, you know, went went that route. Um, And, you know, certainly some conflicts are worth diffusing. Uh, Others, though, um, are hills to die on, situations that uh, diffusing is not going to work or or one should not uh, try to diffuse. Kids, as you probably might imagine, and I've uh, had a front row seat in my house, they tend to locate less um, conflicts in the, oh, let's just diffuse it and let it go, and almost everything in the let's die on that hill uh, type of category. Um, Just a few days ago, uh, driving uh, in the car, Hosanna was trying to conduct the silent game. Obviously, Sayla wasn't doing well at this uh, this game that she didn't even understand how it works. And uh, Hosanna was explaining to Sayla that she was eliminated from the game for gasp talking. So Sayla responded with, fight, fight. And, and of course, Hosanna and Mercy just laughed because it's funny. And 
you know, she doesn't really know what she's doing. But if they had taken her seriously, it probably not a smart idea to want to start a fight, especially when, you know, you're smaller, you're strapped into a car seat that you can't get out of, and the only weapon you have is her unicorn named Pink Sparkles Cotton Candy. Like, that's probably not going to go too well if you actually uh, get in a duke em out uh, type of uh, fight. Uh, but, but diffusing conflicts isn't the, always the answer uh, either. And we're going to see today, um, as uh, Jesus faces a conflict, controversy, that um, sometimes conflict can provide a, a platform to teach beyond just the uh, simple controversy. We're going to look at a couple situations. Jesus could have just uh, diffused. He could have argued just on the basis of the claims made against him. Uh, but, but he gives us far more than we bargained for um, in this uh, passage. And, and he employs this uh, controversy concerning his behavior on the Sabbath uh, to teach his followers profound truths of who he is and what he's come to do. So we're going to continue our study in Matthew chapter 12. If you didn't get a listening guide, you can lift your hand. DJ will get you one. From the back, there's also Bibles in the seat back in front of you, if you'd like that. Our passage today, Matthew 12, verses 1 through 14. At that time... Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who are with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Pray with me. Father God, we, we have come to you. We, we confess that the past week we have listened to many other voices. Uh, I, I pray that we would... Uh, give your voice as we hear from you in, in your word. Give your voice the preeminence that, that we would hear you. Give us a faith to believe what you have said, to, to do what you've uh, called us to do. 
And I pray through the work of your spirit that you would change us to look more like Jesus. We pray this in his good name. Amen. So we're, we're talking about the Sabbath. And that's an interesting topic for us here in America in the 21st century. And uh, Jesus' words uh, concerning uh, the Sabbath and the gospel are relatively palatable uh, to us, at least on initial read. Well, let me explain what I mean. You remember Sermon on the Mount? Remember what Jesus said about lust, about hatred, that the, you know, lust is adultery of the heart, hatred as murder of the heart? Yeah, not, not, not words uh, most people in our day and age really want to hear. Not words anyone ever has wanted to hear. It certainly makes us gulp, not too popular. But, but then we look at Jesus' attitude toward the Sabbath, and uh, you, know, you see him defying the religious leaders, his, flower, his followers, plucking grain and eating it, Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And we think, wow, what a rebel. And it sounds, those facts sound good to our culture because, well, let's face it, if Jesus doubled down on the Sabbath, would we be in good shape? No, no, not. We, we would be in very big uh, trouble. But, but why is the Sabbath even brought up here? Uh, well, we see that Jesus is uh, uh, being, trying to be entrapped by the Pharisees. They're trying to catch him in violation of the Old Testament, or, or at least their teachings concerning the Old Testament. So, so we kind of have to step back. So, so what is uh, this whole Sabbath thing anyways? The, the Sabbath principle uh, goes all the way back as we uh, saw in our scripture reading, uh, Todd read for us, uh, earlier. It, go, it goes all, all the way back. Actually, it goes it back to the very beginning. It goes back to creation, that God created everything in six days and rested on the seventh. You know, th- then in the Ten Commandments, uh, Moses records these words from God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it, you shall, do, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So this is a quite unique thing. For, for God's people that certainly separated them from the other peoples, the other nations uh, surrounding them. Uh, sure, others uh, viewed uh, days as uh, days not to work, maybe because they were unlucky days. But, but here, the Sabbath is viewed as a positive thing, that on the seventh day, resting, as God rested uh, from his work. This isn't a negative thing. Uh, Exodus 31, we see it repeated. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. The, the implication here is, is that even in the busiest time for a culture, or based on agriculture, 
even in the busiest time of the year, when there was all the pressure put on to uh, sow and then uh, to, to reap, when working seven days just seems to make sense, we got to crank this out before the time is up. Here, the, the Sabbath applied you know, not just to the Israelites, but even to uh, sojourners, even to servants in, in the land. And, and God ingrained this principle in his people uh, through the provision of manna. You know, manna for the first five days of the week, if you, if you might remember, came, you could only gather what you could eat that day, otherwise what's left over would spoil. But on the sixth day, they were to gather a double portion. Kind of like if you want to enjoy Chick-fil-A on Sunday, you're going to have to go on Saturday and get, uh, get double. I'm not promising it's going to last as well as uh, God designed manna uh, on the sixth day, but it, that would last through uh, the seventh day when, when God would not ascend manna because the seventh was a Sabbath. And, and there were severe consequences in the Old Testament for Sabbath violation. Uh, just an illustration. Numbers 15 says, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation and they put him in custody because it had not been clear what should be done with him. And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. So so pretty big deal right there. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, the Sabbath was a defining characteristic of the people of God. It helped separate them uh, from the other nations that surrounded them. Uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel linked the fate of Jerusalem with observance of the Sabbath by God's people. And then let's fast forward all the way uh, to the religious leaders in Jesus' day. And though Moses fleshed out regulations concerning the Sabbath, certainly questions existed about, so how exactly does this apply to, can I do this? Can I not do this? Can I do that? Or can I not do that? And the rabbis were certainly known for putting a fence, a hedge around the Torah, which means you know one must... Uh, in addition to avoiding what's strictly prohibited, uh, one must also be careful to uh, avoid things that resemble or link to the prohibited action. A, a good example of this is not agreeing to purchase an item on the Sabbath day. You say, well, well what's the problem with that? I, it, you know, it's like words, like how, how can that be? Because it's linked with and often associated with agreements are in writing. So you would be writing. Other examples include like not adding uh, fresh water uh, to a vase of cut flowers as that resembles sewing. Uh, brushing a dried mud from your sandals or clothing resembles grinding. Uh, braiding hair is equivalent to weaving. 
Those are first century illustrations. My favorite uh, modern day one is, uh, have, have you ever heard of the Sabbath elevator? Yeah. That'll make you not want to live in a high rise in uh, Israel, I'll tell you what, where to avoid having to press the, the button of what, you know, what floor you're going to, it'll just automatically stop at every floor. Could be a long trip. You, you live on the 50th uh, floor, uh, th- that'll make you st- stay in for the, for the day, let me tell you what. But hopefully you get the general idea of the Sabbath in Jesus' day and, and the importance of it in, in the Old Testament, along with some of the regulations you know, set up by the religious leaders in, in Jesus' day. Now, now back to the passage in, in Matthew, and here is the setting for the encounter in the grain fields. Verse 1 and 2 once again. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So, so were the Pharisees actually patrolling the grain fields on the Sabbath? A little bit unlikely. Maybe they had sent one of their own out to spy on Jesus at a distance, you know, see what they might accuse him of doing. Or they just caught word and were certainly quick to latch on to such a juicy information. And the main point of Jesus' response to their accusation, you know, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. The main point of Jesus' response we see in verse 8. It says, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. But let's work our way through as Jesus develops his argument for the reasons we get to that conclusion. Verse 3. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for him uh, to eat, nor for those who are with him, but only for the priests. So Jesus responded to the Pharisees w- with a question of his own. He alludes to what David did in First uh, Samuel 21. It reads, Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech, the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I sent you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have come, have kept themselves from women. David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread 
uh, but uh, the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord, to be replaced by hot bread on the day uh, it is taken away. So, so you probably realize in that passage from uh, 1 Samuel, it doesn't say that uh, David did this uh, on the Sabbath. All right, th- that is correct. But later writings assumed from the context here that if that bread is going to be re- removed and replaced with uh, new bread, uh, that there are you know, 12 loaves of bread w- which were br- baked on, on Friday and then on the Sabbath day were arranged in, in two rows on the table of the Holy of Holies offered as a thank offering. And you would remove, the priest would remove uh, the bread that had been there for the last a week. But e- even with that information, you know, what, one might object that this is still a little stretch for, since David and his men in the, in the context of this passage, they were near a starvation uh, on the run and the disciples of Jesus being hungry and uh, plucking a grain in the grain uh, fields. And there's no suggestion in this passage in Matthew that uh, the disciples were uh, near death. Uh, the, the point Jesus is making doesn't rely on the, the disciples staring at starvation. It certainly says that they are hungry, but doesn't go beyond that. And, and Jesus knew the rabbinical literature where the religious leaders of his day went to great lengths to justify the actions of David in eating the bread of the presence. Uh, obviously, that's not an easy, easy sell because David wasn't a priest. Like, should he really have been, been doing that? But the, the rabbis bent over backwards to justify David, this man of God, king of Israel, um, in his actions. And, and Jesus' implied argument here is, if David could do that, Certainly, Jesus is justified, along with his followers, you know, plucking and eating grain on the Sabbath because Jesus is far greater than uh, the king and patriarch, David. And truly, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath because he is the new David. A greater David is here. So he's justified in breaking the law of the Sabbath. And the, the Pharisees were, were rigid in their application of the law, their interpretation of the implications um, of the law to Jesus and to others. But, but, but they gave much more leniency, much more grace uh, to David, believing him to be that man after God's own heart and in touch with God's will, even if it meant that he had to violate the rules and regulations of the Sabbath. However, Jesus here is the new and greater David. He is who David always pointed to. If David and his followers could break the Torah, how much more could the Messiah, a descendant of David, to which David pointed, uh, break the Torah and be justified in so doing. And, and we're going to talk about the implications and application of the Sabbath to our lives a little bit later here. But right now, let's think about this principle 
of Jesus as the new David and how it applies to us. When you come to the Bible, what type of attitude do you come to Jesus with? Do you come to an, with an attitude like the Pharisees? Are, are you coming to find him guilty? When you read something where his words or actions seem questionable, do you study it more? Or, or do you just assume that Jesus is in the wrong? If, if something Jesus does is uncomfortable to you, seems to kind of rub, rub you, the wrong way. How do you respond to that? Do you condemn Jesus if, if you're not comfortable with what he did, what he said? Do you just ignore it and only embrace what you like to or wish you heard from Jesus? Or, or do, you, do you come with humility, looking into it deeper, recognizing that if, if one person's in the wrong, it's probably me. That I need to understand Jesus more. And let me assure you that Jesus isn't looking for a bunch of creative solutions to get him out of stuff, to get him out of wrongdoing. But, but if we come with the attitude that Jesus is in the wrong, we'll never get him until the Spirit uh, changes our attitude. When we read uh, later in the gospel that Jesus overturns the tables of the money uh, changers, you know, drives out those who are buying and selling in the temple, drives them out with a whip, I might feel a little bit uncomfortable at first. But, but, but guess what? I'm the one who needs to reevaluate how I view what he just did, how I view anger, to leave room for righteous anger. I don't need to condemn Jesus. Jesus needs to change me. I don't need to try to change Jesus. Jesus is the new David. And if David could eat the bread of the presence, how much more could Jesus and his followers pluck grain and eat it when hungry? To condemn him is to not understand who he is. He, he does not merely claim uh, to just be greater than David. He's not putting on a show here. He is the new and greater David. He is who David had, has always pointed uh, forward to. And we saw earlier in the Gospel of Matthew how um, even in the first uh, chapter, is organized around showing that this uh, new David, this new king of Israel, Messiah, ha has arrived. Uh, he is the one who came up with the idea in the beginning that this Sabbath wasn't something we came up with. It's something that God designed from the beginning where, as he created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. He stands over the Sabbath he, and declares his followers to be in the right in their service of him. And, and now in verses 5 and 6, we come to uh, the second argument uh, from the lips of Jesus as to why his disciples are justified in their actions. Verse 5. 
Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. At first, this argument may may seem a little strange, but let me unpack it a little bit. Uh, So the Sabbath Old Testament rules uh, stipulate that no work is to be done on the Sabbath. But look at the other passages, uh, what they require from priests in the line of Aaron. Numbers 28. On the Sabbath day, two male lambs, a year old without blemish, and two tenths of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil and its drink offering. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. Obviously those aren't offered, they don't offer themselves. Leviticus 24 Verse 8, concerning the showbread. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. So the Pharisees uh, argued that such work was legitimate. And it you know, even included other temple duties that were required uh, to be completed on the Sabbath day. Therefore, uh, they were not just affirming that exceptions existed to the Sabbath rules, but, but more importantly, that temple service took precedence over the rules and regulations of the Sabbath. And Jesus, Jesus here does argue that one commandment can outweigh another, but, but that's just the beginning of his contention. He places this law of the Sabbath in subordination to the law of Jesus' own person. If, if there's a collision between the Sabbath and the purposes of Jesus, the disciples must and have rightly chosen to serve Jesus. Jesus says that something greater than the temple was present. What does that mean? So the word translated something in, in our uh, text here verse 6 I tell you something greater than the temple is here it is neuter in the original language but but that doesn't mean it can't refer uh, to a person and we must resort to finding a referent like say the the kingdom of God or, or something like that that really isn't natural in this passage well we'll see later in verses uh, 41 through 42 that the the neuter is used to refer to a person there but I won't spoil that just yet. Uh, actually, this, this does refer to Jesus. Uh, Gundry is probably right to see the focus on the quality of Jesus' superior greatness rather than a focus on his uh, personal identity. So if, if Jesus is the new temple, what, what does that mean for us? Well, it means that service to him like the, that the, the disciples were providing, takes precedence over any Sabbath regulations. He is the new temple. They are the new priesthood called to serve him. They were serving the new temple. The, the temple had been the most holy place on earth because it was where God's special presence was. But not anymore. 
Uh, th- this is crazy. Never again would God's special presence be in a building called a temple. No, Jesus is the temple. People no longer have to go to a, a place to experience the presence of God. God in the flesh came down to us. Any church building is not a replacement for the Old Testament temple. Jesus is the new temple. God's presence in the eternal Son of the Father, Jesus, has come down to us. Wow, we we should be amazed by that reality. And and the temple imagery in the New Testament doesn't uh, stop there. The Apostle Paul is dead right to call believers the temple of God, as he does in uh, 1 Corinthians. Why? Well, Jesus ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit, his spirit, to live in us, his followers. We, through our connection with Jesus, have his spirit in us. We are temples of God. Uh, Paul writes uh, to the church in Ephesus, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being himself the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jesus is the new temple. And through our connection with him, through the indwelling of his spirit, we are a temple of the living God. That that should add incredible significance to the seemingly mundane things we do in service to Jesus. Maybe even things you've done this morning, as simple as pressing the space bar and pro presenter serving in Trinity Kids, you know, helping with setup, helping with teardown, and beyond that, to, to things you do all throughout the week that you might think, ah, oh, that doesn't really matter. That's boring, insignificant. But but remember who we are serving. We are serving Jesus. He is the new temple, as this passage uh, proclaims. If, if the Pharisees had understand who Jesus is and what he had come to do, they would not have condemned the innocent disciples. Jesus stands over the Sabbath and properly interprets it in a messianic way. And we see, starting in verse 7, we see how he adds to that argument. Verse 7. And if you had known what this means... I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You see, see, the main point here is that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And being Lord of the Sabbath, he ushers in a new priority. This is new in the sense of Jesus' clear statement and explanation of the heart of God. It contrasts with the prevailing practice of the Pharisees and Jesus shows the proper interpretation 
uh, of the Old Testament. And maybe when I was reading verse 7, you thought, ah, man, I've, I've heard that verse before. It seems, seems like I was reading that somewhere. And, and you would be right. Because uh, Jesus already quoted Hosea 6, verse 6, uh, back in uh, chapter 9 of Matthew, just a few weeks ago. Hear these words from Hosea. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes uh, early away. Therefore, I've hewn them by the prophets. I've slain them by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love, get this, and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant and they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers, attract with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. For you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed. The, the point here is that God didn't care if his people got the sacrifices correct if they didn't first love him and that love didn't flow out in love for others in their lives. The purpose wasn't to minimize the sacrifices. God wasn't throwing that aside, but, but to properly set the priorities. And we see here, uh, Matthew combines a, another uh, episode as he uh, combines this story from the grain fields with the conflict uh, in the synagogue, starting with verse 9, to, to build on the point he is making uh, concerning uh, the Sabbath. Which, by the way, this is brilliant storytelling. As we've seen in this uh, Gospel of Matthew, this isn't just a chronological list of episodes in, in Jesus's life, but he combines uh, these two stories to help us uh, to grasp the point Jesus is making uh, concerning uh, the Sabbath. Verse 9, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. A man from there uh, was with a withered hand. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? so that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it, it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. I love how this starts out with uh, their synagogue. A major gulf has been carved between Jesus and the religious leaders, particularly the Pharisees. And, and we meet this man with a withered hand, literally dry, lifeless, maybe idea of paralyzed. According to the Pharisees, the only justified healing on, a, on the Sabbath was if the person was in imminent danger of peril. That obviously was not the, the case with this man 
It's why he's a good test case that they bring him to uh, Jesus. He had probably had been like this way for months, probably years, maybe all of his life. And to be honest, would he be the same way the next day? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how he'd been for a long time. And Jesus uh, pokes a hole in their reasoning by pointing to their own practice uh, concerning if one of their sheep uh, falls into a pit on the Sabbath. Now, technically, if you look at a rabbinical literature of the day, technically, what, on the Sabbath, were you allowed to go down into a pit to lift out your sheep? No, no, not, not the case. You, one could instead, well, you could throw, like, throw food down to the animal and then the next day uh, rescue it. So, so what is Jesus uh, focusing on here? He, he's focusing on their general practice. So if one sheep falls into a pit, and think, where, where are most pits? Are they in the middle of a city with a bunch of people around? No, nope. They're out in the middle of nowhere. There's probably a nobody in sight. And he points to, what are your general practice? If, if your sheep falls down, what are you going to do? You might like look around a little bit. All right, there's no one around. Am I really going to go like throw food down to this sheep to wait till tomorrow when it's my sheep? It's not, you know, not just somebody else's sheep, you know, who cares whether it uh, makes it or not. When it's my sheep on the line, what is almost everyone going to do? Well, they're going to go down and, and get their a sheep rescue it on the Sabbath day, regardless, you know, of what a day it is. Uh, same thing I bet all of us would do. We'd speedily rescue the sheep. Well, why? Because we care about the sheep and it's valuable to us. And Jesus puts the priorities of God on the table by saying, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? And what does he do? He heals the man with a withered hand. No waiting until the next day. Jesus does good. He does the right thing on the Sabbath day. He isn't apologizing for that. He, he's being intentionally provocative. Could he have just waited till the next day? Absolutely. Could, could he have rearranged his plans to make sure he saw this man the day before the Sabbath? Yeah, yeah, he, he, he could have, have done that. But, but instead he wants to make a point. That the command to love, um, as interpreted by Jesus, stands over the Pharisees' interpretation of obeying the Sabbath. And, and you can see that the Pharisees aren't, aren't too happy about this. They're looking to destroy him. Everything up to and including killing him. Which seems as a, a very curious action in response to gasp healing someone regardless of what day it is on. But, but there's an important consideration to remember here. The, the Pharisees did not see themselves as opposing God, as uh, opposing God's messenger. No, they believed that they were serving the one true God and uh, serving him by trying to silence this a man profaning the Sabbath day. They, they sounded very religious and they thought they were in the right. But what were they here? 
They were enemies of God. They were dead wrong. They were opposing Jesus, the the, the Messiah. So so let's talk about how Jesus' clear revelation of the priorities of God affect us. And first, we can apply it to the Sabbath. Do we believe in the Sabbath principle? Yes. I mean, God, cre- God came up with this. This wasn't something we invented. As God came up with it as he rested from his uh, creative work on the seventh day. It is important to rest. Uh, nobody can or should work all the time without a dedicated time for rest. It's not a good rhythm of life to not have rest built in. Second question, do we practice the Jewish Sabbath, the Sabbath of the Old Testament? Well, well, no. Uh, That would be on Saturday, in case any of you are like, oh, I thought I was practicing the Jewish Sabbath and just found out you were trying to do it on the wrong day. No, no, we we worship as uh, churches always have on uh, Sunday since the New uh, Testament times, the day when Jesus arose from the dead. That, that was a radical deviation from Judaism to, in the change in the day of worship. However, so, so we don't practice the Jewish Sabbath, but, but we still apply that Sabbath principle of times of, of you know, building into your schedule, times of dedicated rest, times of dedicated worship. You know, often the early church would meet on on Sunday, often meet on uh, Sunday night because most of uh, them had to to work on Sunday. Uh, exact you know practice you know varies for Christians across the globe, but we we need to remind ourselves of the tremendous privilege we have here. Well, would it not become mundane that we get to gather um, as? believers to take this time out of our schedule different than any other time in the week and we get to hear from God to join together as a church as a gospel uh, family and and, and we should as we've seen in the Sabbath principle from the beginning we should organize our lives in a way that uh, builds rest in for the well-being of uh, our own selves for the well-being of our own soul, having rest built in in times of dedicated uh, worship. But in this passage, we see that Jesus is not just primarily teaching on the Sabbath. He's revealing more than just that. He's revealing himself and the heart of God. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. This should set our priorities. Let me close but by picturing a community of believers shaped by these words of Jesus. What would it look like? Let's, let's think about this. What would it look like? It would look like mission is not viewed as the good guys. We're the good guys to the bad guys out there, but instead there is one good guy. His, his name is Jesus. We have all rebelled against him. Mission is sinners saved by grace telling others of the grace 
that we have found in Jesus? What, what would it look like, a, a community shaped by the words of Jesus? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It would look like we're reading your, your Bible at the Starbucks, but not neglecting it to engage you know, broken people who, who need to hear about the, God's word, about that Bible. Uh, what it would look like a church com- community making gathering together a priority while not neglecting blessing our neighbors. Uh, the goal of our church would, would not be proliferation of ministries, would not be a building, but would be that more and more people meet Jesus and grow in Jesus. God's commands matter, but a particular application of God's word wouldn't be used as an excuse or even a weapon to keep people from loving and serving God and loving and serving others. Giving to the church would not be employed as an excuse for stinginess to others in need. Uh, avoidance of temptation wouldn't be used as an excuse to not serve others, but one would find a way to both avoid temptation and to bless others in the name of Jesus. Others are called to the faith, which requires the work of God, as nobody seeks God without the work of the Spirit, the Spirit's transformation. But a bunch of other spiritual hoops, in addition, would not be created to add difficulty. The the church would celebrate the work God is doing, even if the work is other churches who have differences on open-handed issues, celebrating what God is doing and believing we're not the only ones God is using to accomplish that. Think about that this week. Imagine a community of believers shaped by the words uh, of Jesus. And may we pursue looking more like Jesus who has ushered in this new priority. Pray with me.